0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. In this year of the healthcare vote, we must take the mantle and move from being health consumers to health citizens and exercise our right to be health citizens, own our health system.
1: From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience. Today's show is not a very special episode of Different Strokes, Facts of Life, Family Ties, Webster, or Blossom, but it is a very special episode nonetheless. Jane Sarensen Khan has been a friend, teacher, mentor, Sherpa, conscience, and a big sister to me for over 15 years. I mean it when I say that she's as close to a biological family member as you can get without the Jerry Springer sibling DNA test. My origin story of becoming a cancer advocate diverged in 2004 between the nonprofit sector and the then nascent and emerging digital health universe, which they called Health 2.0. And Jane was right there to welcome me, me the freshman newcomer and token cancer guy in the space with the inflatable swimmies that I needed to jump down that rabbit hole. Did I mention that Jane is one of the world's foremost health economists with a Nostradamus-level power for trend forecasting? She's also an award-winning author, blogger, speaker, thought leader, and the creator of Health Populi, one of, if not the most notable blogs covering the healthcare ecosystem And her new book is Health Consuming, From Health Consumer to Health Citizen. If you don't know the meaning of the word mishpach, you're about to find out. Enjoy the show. Jane, oh my goodness, it's so awesome to have you here on my (laughs) new radio show, because you've been on the old radio show, and in the epic band reunions of all epic band reunions unlike the eagles who said hell would freeze over we never needed the hell to freeze over <laughs> and here we are and i'm so excited to talk to you
0: oh amen to that my brother i'm so happy to be with you we go way way back
1: like stone aid like paleozoic health 1.0 con stuff
0: it's kind of 0.5 yeah. when i think about it
1: i know right uh, I just I don't even rem- remember our, our origin story, but obviously it was through stupid cancer or I'm too young for this, or whatever it was called back in the salad days. What I do remember is I think it was either 06 or 07 where Matt Holt and Indu Sabaya invited me somehow, I think through my Missy Krasner Google connections, to keynote and play piano at the inaugural Health2Con event. And I think that's where my freshman in, inauguration into the the fraternity sorority of this universe began.
0: I think it was. I think it was the second year, 06, because I then came to interview you in 07 for the paper I wrote for California Healthcare Foundation in 08. But I remember you playing piano and then hearing your origin story about being at Binghamton University And your hand stopped playing piano. That was when you pre diagnosed the fact that something was going on with your brain. And uh, that was the beginning of me being in awe of you and your miracle story. So, that is one of the things we've learned, and Susanna Fox talks about this a lot, is that really this is just healthcare is just all about stories, really, and the power of the patient's story. And yours was certainly captivating when I
1: heard it for the first time. That event was really a, um, like a wizard-behind-the-curtain reveal mm-hmm. of all these, like, we were, uh, there were, like, two versions of, like, Margaret being I mean, rapscallions back then. There was the, <laughs> the Livestrong origin universe of young adult cancer and what the NCI was doing with groups, and that was there. And then there was this, like, putting the words digital and health in the same sentence, even just like as an idiom, didn't exist. And we were all just inventing things that weren't in the vernacular, aspiring to just break stuff because we saw opportunities.
0: Break stuff because necessity was the mother. (laughs) And it was a mother to be sick. So, I mean, in that era, and I went back to that paper, which you can still download online at chcf.org, And it's free and it's (laughs) old, but it's a gem. Yes. Because it was really I can list some of the people I spoke with with you. So I spoke with Jack Barrett for that paper, and he had just come out of Yahoo Groups, health groups to start WeGo Health at the moment. I spoke with Ben Haywood of patients like me fame, and they were young. In that network, which they built for their brother. Speaking of mother being a necessity of invention, and Amy Tendrich who just started Diabetes Mind, and even which is fascinating because of his recent news with Amazon, Scott Shreve who had just started Crossover Health, and he's now working with Amazon. And it took him all these years to build that great primary care model in Crossover Health, and. Just a few weeks ago, they announced that they'd be working with Amazon in their primary care clinics. So, I mean, this is the generation you were in and you were the baby amongst
1: all these folks. I was and I I genuinely feel incubated and accelerated and almost like surrogately adopted Because Mm -hmm. I I was kind of like the token cancer guy that happened to be there. And I was not a entrepreneurial startup business person, kind of like driving in both lanes over the last 15, 16 years in the nonprofit and the private sector. I I feel like I'm a unique byproduct of of all of these individuals who you mentioned and more.
0: Yeah. And you were the identity of I'm too young for this, which really was... So apropos, because as you explained to me in that first lengthy conversation where I needed two Kleenex boxes for, (laughs) you had said that you had fallen at your age of like 20 between pediatric cancer and adult cancer, and there was this gap, this hellish hole you fell into, because the peds oncologists didn't want to see you really. They didn't know what to do with you, and the adult cancer specialists, didn't know what to do with you. So you really did forge this this segment, this I'm too young for this segment of 18 to 24 year olds out of necessity and that great primal scream of Jesus Christ, I need help. Just as the Haywoods did for their brother and Amy did because she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when she was, you know, a woman. And yeah. she also didn't have a place to go at the time. So she's she was a tremendous pioneer in her way, you know, for her condition as well. But anyway, yeah, you were, you were the baby and we all adopted you and embraced you. And, you know, now you have your own babies who aren't babies anymore.
1: Do you think that there's a new freshman class of us coming up these days? Because we're like the first Degrassi High generation. Maybe I'm... <laughs> <laughs> One and a half, Degrassi guy head generation. Like, have we given birth to an entirely new generation of innovation?
0: You know, the innovators that I'm seeing now aren't so much the patients, but the caregivers, which is like a new, new thing. So when I look at um, the founders of... Oh, the voice technology company Orbita up in Boston, and I've met Nate Trelor a couple times, and I'm a big fan of what they're doing. So they're like an early generation of people developing Alexa skills in health, but the way Nate told his story to me a few years back at HIMSS or CES, I forget where I met up with him, he and his partner in the business both had relatives, parents or, and or grandparents who were developing dementia. So they had been successful digital tech people, not health, who found a need in their lives to then play around and create voice skills for their ailing and health managing uh, family. So I see this spur coming out of not just self-help, but caregivers uh, helping develop things who are smart in tech and and are finding their way to health. And we're seeing that as kind of a new trend, I think, in the last few years, where it's not just about you, but it's about the people that you
1: love. That speaks to kind of like this anthropologic evolution of We talk Web 1, Web 2, Health 1, Health 2. No one has ever said Health 3. Did we we forget that there's a linear path to numerology? Like what is, if there was a 3 in the Wikipedia of Let's Invent Health 3.0, what what does that mean in the wake of what we tried to be doing for 20 years?
0: Yeah, in the Jane world, in the way I'm looking at the world now, looking back, because I was president at the beginning in caveman era, and here I am still at it. I see now that's all about connecting these pieces together. So, you know, here we are in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. We should give people context for the moment in which we're speaking. It's, uh, in calendar terms, uh, August 6th, 2020 in the moment. And in the moment, we're burning up all over America with spreading virus, which, you know, who would have thought we'd be here six months ago, but we are, but one thing we've learned and one of the gifts of the pandemic has been that we actually know there are data Of to describe us beyond our health care, but for our health, our mental health, our mood, our sex lives, the, the mania we're all living, our retail receipts from you know buying groceries and all of that. And if we could just get interoperability together, which we are starting to, we can put together the social networking, the retail data, the healthcare claims data, the self-generated data from my aura ring and my... Apple watch and I mean you should see what I've got on today but you know I'm tracking lots of things and even my pulse ox device because I'm paranoid you know about keeping the virus at bay and measuring things so I think we're in not a 3.0 era but just the ecosystem era now and we don't have to put a number on it because we're generating so much information across these different platforms and planes of existence that we can start to gather this data and make sense over it. So I'm not kind of looking at 3.0 as much as connecting person to person, data point to data point and making sense out of it.
1: Are we hitting like a saturation point where we're going to be too dependent on things, doing things for us and taking away any sort of instinctual purpose on just being more self-aware analog?
0: You know, the the terror and the apocalyptic vision of the Wall-E world, which I thought was a, a wonderful movie to and storyline to watch, that's a real cautionary tale. Because absolutely, in the stay-home era, and I'm updating my book Health Consuming as we speak, getting it done by tomorrow so I can take a vacation next week. But one of the cautions of the stay home alone together era the quarantining is the fear of going out so you know your generation and digital natives talked about fear of missing out but now a lot of people younger and older have fear of going out for fear of contracting the virus not everybody but it's a, there's a large cohort of people who are still quite you know uh, guarded and so, yeah, We one, we have a risk of not connecting socially. And God bless Zoom and FaceTime and, you know, our talking over this platform right now because we can connect digitally. But I really do miss reaching out and hugging you. You know, I really love my Z- Matthew Zachary hugs and I can't have that right now. So I'm I'm doing it now virtually. But I think we are at a risk. There's always risk in these things of being too digital. And in the pandemic, we have mental health reactions to that, you know, people spending too much time on technology. So there's a new social determinant of health that's emerging, which is, you know, too much tech, making us uh, depressed in a lot of different ways. So yeah, it's all in balance. You know, we have to remember who we are. Uh, Now there's another Disney illusion, Lion King, Simba. Remember who you are. So it all comes back to Disney, man.
1: Well, I mean, you brought up a word that's always been like this contingency in the the, the vernacular of our bubble, which is the word consumer. Mm. And, you know, when I was diagnosed in the 90s and like we never talked about you being a consumer of health, health just kind of happened to you. And there really were no opportunities for a patient to be considered a person. And the first time I heard consumer health, I'm thinking, you know, going to shop at Walmart or at Walgreens or going to shop at CVS. I'm just a consumer of toothpaste and whatever, whatever. And then I started hearing the phrase consumer oncology. And now you're using health consumption. Have we reached the point where that isn't maybe just words anymore, not jargon? Is there a a layperson way in which we can understand how the consumer, whether it's a market of consumption you don't want to be consuming in, like chemotherapy, or whether right. it's a market where you want to understand what the best retail product is, uh, you know, a gene testing or or whatever, your your watch or pill, pill pack or whatever, um, you know, where are we in that sense of how much you do have control over consumer choice versus how much you don't Have control over consumer choice?
0: Well, I use consumer, and I've used it for a long time as a health economist. As people were taking on more out of pocket payments, we saw generic drug price differentials of five, ten, twenty dollars in the 90s start to happen. And at that point, when I was working a lot with pharma companies, which is actually where I met Jack Barrett at a big pharma he was working with when he was at Yahoo, we were in the same meeting. And at that meeting, I was giving a talk about these copays. So for prescription drugs, it's been fairly easy to think about being a consumer. You talked about CVS or Walgreens, and in fact, when we talk about retail health in the 1.0 version of retail health, it was all about the pharmacy, you know, because you could be a consumer at the point of purchase and say, give me the generic before states or health plans mandated you got the generic first as step therapy or just to save to save the plan money. Well, now, even... If you're a cancer patient, You may have choice, not always, but you may be able to choose between one organization and another. You can certainly shop around for second opinions in places like Cleveland Clinic and Mayo Clinic and lots of other places. I have offered that virtually via phone calls and, and a version of telemedicine for a long, long time, for many years. Not everything, of course, is consumable because we have this lack of transparency of price and quality and measurement. And the industry, that is um, hospitals, have long held that as sort of proprietary information, even though we now have laws emerging throughout the U.S. on greater transparency. But no, we're in a much greater era of health consumerism as we spend more out of pocket. And my latest riff on that and belief in, in this year of the healthcare vote in 2020 on November 3rd is that we must take the mantle and move from being health consumers to health citizens and exercise our right to be health citizens, own our healthcare, own our health system, and be self-determining in that, so take back control. I'm morphing from my use of consumer to citizen in health because I think In the pandemic, we've learned a lot about why we are health citizens. We just don't realize it yet.
1: Back with our guest after the break.
0: Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery.
1: So we're back, and this time we're going to flip the switch, and Jane's going to be interviewing me. Because apparently there's a curiosity about how I got from A to B to C, and yet somehow my plan B became my plan A.
0: (laughs) Well, that's one way to put it. You know, when we met, you were I too Y. I'm too young for this. And this foundation then morphed into Stupid Cancer, this nonprofit that just took the world by storm. And you created this community which is an important word, community of young people with cancer all over the world. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about that early era and what that was like, that zeitgeist, as you were riding the growth of the 2.0 social media world, content creation and community creation. Talk about that experience, because it was quite a zeitgeist you were creating and living in.
1: It was an odd moment in time when no one quite knew what they were going to be doing when they grew up. We just knew (laughs) we were angry about something. But what really changed for me was having gone seven years feeling like I was the only 20-something that ever had any cancer. And I was playing piano again. I was working in the advertising industry. I just felt like I was completely alone. And I met a gentleman named Craig Lustig. I've been very vocal about this guy. He's like a brother to me. I'm still best friends with him. Years later, he happened to be on the board of an organization called the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship, which is one of the dominant influencers in public health policy and oncology in the country, in D.C. And I was, again, that Wizard of Oz curtain got pulled back. And I started to realize, wow, this would have been so nice to have. Back in 1996, when the yellow rotary cord phone was on my parents' wall and I'd know to <laughs> talk to. But similar to what we talked about at the top of the show about, you know, Jamie and Ben and Amy, we were born of our condition. We just didn't know we had a door to even walk through until it manifested itself. And for me, that was the door. And there were so many incredibly inspiring, talented people in that early live strong pre pre livestrong heyday space that were advocates and doctors and sociologists and health economists and survivorship experts and 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 nonprofit storytellers but there really were no like insane doc brown wild-eyed marketing people and I fit this odd niche and I said if I'm gonna build a community that I wish that I had and I'm dragging all these amazing people with me, What should that be? What is the anti-Hallmark card? What is the non-have-a-ribbon? You know, here's a thing. You poor thing. The pity party of cancer, which was this Deborah Winger, terms of endearment, stretched over 20 (laughs) years. It didn't work anymore. And what survivorship meant to me was making sure that someone else like me doesn't feel judged and alone. That was my interpretation of it. So calling it I'm too young for this was exactly the kind of go fuck you, tongue in cheek, self-victimization that worked for Gen X. And before hashtags or hashtags kids, they were called slogans. So the (laughs) slogan for I'm too young for this, also I2Y, was stupid cancer. Why not? Because that's what Homer Simpson would say. Gen X all the way. So that was my entry into doing what I wished that I had. Again, similar to all of us building things we wished we had. And that was, you know, this was before the internet. There was a moment in time you cannot replicate. There was no broadband. AOL was still like kind of DVDs and CD-ROMs floating around in physical spaces. And, you know, I think MySpace was there. Facebook barely launched Obama was there was nothing. There was nothing. There was no iPhones, no Android. No, the only thing you had was just yourself and like a mailing list and some paper. So scrappy to get these things done. And it did grow. Because like all of us, when you're the first, you don't know that you're the first.
0: That's such a great way to put it. You don't know you're the first, so you just muddle through it. And that's what everybody was doing in that cohort that you were talking about, Matthew and Indu founding Health 2.0 as a convening. They were conveners of people like you who didn't (laughs) actually know exactly where things were going, but it was very organic and it was of the moment. So that, that was so, so amazing uh, to put it that way. So you came through that for over a decade of growth and marketing and glo- going global. I mean, this thing was grew like topsy. And then in the middle of all that, you became a dad. So how has that informed what you're doing? Because I know it has in very profound ways that you don't talk about a lot.
1: The most interesting way to answer that question is that I used to conflate or comport what happened at Stupid Cancer in relation to how old my kids were. Mm. But now I <laughs> conflate how old my kids were with regard to what happened at Stupid Cancer.
0: That's fascinating. <laughs> it's yeah. like,
1: oh, my God, we went to Vegas? Wait, well, they were five. No, 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 no. So when they were three, this happened. So, like, it's it's been this amazing... I won't say de velcro of the process, but being able to, you know, one of my favorite books is Shel Silverstein's Falling Up or in Toy Story, Falling with Style. You kind of don't know what you're doing. And if you think about when Steve Jobs revealed the uh, the iPod, the iPod in like, 02, whatever, he said, never give people what they want, give them what they don't know they need. And at the end of the day, Stupid cancer was what people didn't know they needed. And like building an app, you let the users decide what the thing becomes. You don't prognosticate around what you assume to be. And stupid cancer as a business model, as like a Harvard Business Review study, was all about being built by, for, and with the community. And it evolved exactly bespoke to suit. And along the way, I learned that I was not infertile and I learned that there were ways to (laughs) just be fertile enough to have a BOGO at the IVF clinic and get twins. So it changed everything. And as you know, and my listeners know, my kids are the Truman show of oncology. Thousands, hundreds, millions of people know my kids exist as this crazy miracle story. And like, they're going to be freaking out when they hit 18 and, and figure out who the hell they really are. Right. But that really did create so much motivation because that was 2010. We were I was we barely had like two employees back then. Yeah. And yeah. It, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And it was a unique and rare phenomenon. It still is.
0: It was. And they've been growing and growing and growing. And <laughs> I, I, I'm amazed by them. I follow them uh, on your, you know, Insta and, and other networks. And so, no, I I love that part of, of you and the story because it was another miracle. Again, organic. Yeah. And, you know, of the time. So you and Jess, beautiful parents, and, you know, love, love that part of your story. And we had to get that on there because I've been part of it from beforehand, you know, in terms of observing and and praying hard. So I I love that. So this idea that this thing grew like topsy, and you were, you know, falling up, as it were, you got to a point, though, with that project, that part of your life, that chapter, that um, you didn't want to fall up that way anymore. And you wanted to get on with the next thing. So what was the the motivation to take this or, or say goodbye to this um, amazing organization that was so defined by you. You were the persona of this thing. The DN- your DNA is in, is in the organization, and the organization persists, but you're not with it anymore. So why did you decide to move to the next chapter?
1: I got to witness many similar parallels in the founders ethos mm-hmm. of the nonprofit space. And there are very few founders in the nonprofit space that either are still here or manage to not decide to leave. They kind of stick around because it's their baby and that's how you want to belong to the cause you engendered. And I started to really see some of the inherent challenges, the the, the, the cracks you know, in the paint by staying too long, or maybe you're not wearing out your welcome, but I think the purpose of starting something is intended to let it go at some point. Mm -hmm. And it, a combination of factors. I put a very well thought out uh, post on LinkedIn in November, 2018, Mm -hmm. which like 90,000 people, I have no idea. Like it was insane. Lightning rod. I was not expecting the wonderful warm response so thank you everyone that that did that. But you know, when I started this, I was newly married with no kids, off the heels of a fairly lucrative career, and I had nothing to lose. And I figured, what the hell? And as time went on, you get a little—you know, your knees don't maybe bend the same way, and there's mm-hmm. a little thing in your spine that didn't happen, and your—you know—you get a little you age. You kind of get older, and and at the same mm-hmm. time, you know, the job gets bigger, and success means growth. And I kind of like the Sisyphus part of building things. And fortunately, I consider what Stupid Cancer achieved with our partners in our community huge success, Because it did accomplish some significant public health milestones that were set out and set forth in the mid-2000s. So it really wasn't a mission accomplished per se. It was a mission accomplished with an asterisk. And I was very articulate in trying to rationalize this with myself, because when do you put the flag in the ground and say, I did enough? When is enough? Diana, when it was enough, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> to the Jews out there, Diana. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so they are like four nodding heads on the radio. So I, I kind of built my own glass ceiling. I kind of didn't feel like I could break things anymore. And my dad gave me this wonderful little like, like statement, which is like moving on is hard, but knowing when is harder. Mm, And
0: that's a gift. That what a great thing. Yeah, thank you. That's a great mantra. Thanks, dad. Mm -hmm.
1: But like, it just all the things kind of hit at the right time. You know, not just nothing was obviously behind the scenes, hunky dory. It was great. There were lots of confluences of different things. And I just had to make a decision. And I called Jess and I said, I got to go. And she's like, what took you so long? So I knew (laughs) I knew it was the right time to, to step down and uh, place it in very capable hands, uh, which is where it is right now.
0: Absolutely. So, so, so fascinating. So, you know, you're always jumping into something that doesn't exist or it's a disruptive moment. So now we're in the midst of the pandemic, the advertising industry is falling apart, the media industry is falling apart and the entertainment industry is falling apart. You know, witness Disney and AMC movies and and then the rise of Netflix and streaming at home. Here you are jumping into the middle of a new, new, uh, media uh, and and advertising kind of of opportunity. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and tell us why you think you should jump into the middle of this industry that's so crazy right now?
1: So w- when I stepped down, I was approached by, you know, the Friends of Matt community, the network I built, you know, all the wonderful people who have helped make me and who I helped make together to do amazing things and... It was humbling to be asked, how can we help you now? I wasn't prepared to receive. And one specific thing did happen. I went to ASCO. I went to ASCO in 2019 to do a gig for a pharma company. And for the first time, not panhandle, begging for money (laughs) for sponsorships, which is very cathartic. Welcome to a business model. I know. And um, I was asked point blank, what's going to happen to the stupid cancer show, which we should also Mm. remind our listeners, was kind of like the flagship that defined stupid cancer for all those years. We had the first radio show in healthcare before we called them podcasts. And I was thrilled to interview thousands of people over hundreds of shows and had millions of listens aggregate. And it was its own odd phenomenon for its time. And I was asked, you know, what's going to happen to it now that you step down? And I could only assume they were going to sunset it or repurpose it but the sentiment across the board from more than one person, in in no coincidence, was you better find a way to get back behind a microphone.
0: Mm, interesting.
1: So this whole company, this off-script media thing that's become this odd juggernaut media thing out of a during a pandemic was born of my network. And I felt it was built by, you know, see they say death by committee. This was life by friends of Matt Squad.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, you know, you could not have foreseen. pan I mean, you probably could have foreseen the the pandemic based on your perception of our politics, but no one could have foreseen this being what transpired in 2020 when you're trying to build a brand new idea and a brand new business concept. But I think the elevator pitch was based on a George Carlin skit. He said, (laughs) he said, if you stick two things together that have never yet been stuck together before, some schmuck will buy it. And no one... And I did all this analysis and all this surveying and all this. No one's ever stuck together patient advocacy or consumer health advocacy or with broadcasting. They don't exist. And podcasts are great, but they're very transactional, educational, or murder mysteries, or politics, or sports. But this medium of patient storytelling and the jargon of patient centricity and patient education, it doesn't exist in audio form. Why is that? I was curious. So entering a white space is kind of my jam. Yeah, right. (laughs) Exactly. You know, you build the model from scratch, first to market, try to fail first. And at the end of the day, who knew that launching the first patient advocacy broadcast company during a pandemic would have been the weirdest guilty timing of all timing?
0: Yeah, no, I I think so. I think that's what... You know, visionary. See, and I'm not pandering to you by saying that, but I mean, it's uh, you put disparate things together, and here you are, and it is the opportunity time. And as you say, podcasting is sort of the the 1.0, and you are you're bringing another dimension to that. So I think that's why this is going to be so successful, if I may forecast that.
1: Accepted, <laughs> Nate Silver. Exactly,
0: the 5:40. Uh,
1: you know, <laughs> it's been a phenomenon to see this really grow from nothing so quickly with this amazing team that I've now built to do this with, but the desire to appreciate the value of, of what like single sensory audio we're videoed out. I believe yeah. very firmly that the, you know, because of the health citizen to quote, to quote your nomenclature is ready for a different medium to experience peer to peer education and credible, entertaining content that will help them live their lives better. Mm -hmm.
0: I think that's really true. And I think it's particularly true in the pandemic era. I've been really studying consumers' behavior reshaping, not just health consumers, but consumers in general. And I think there is this video sort of overload now. We're seeing even younger people uh, putting that down and saying, I want real relationships. Uh, and not just digital ones. And so it, it does bring us back to that great era of radio that I remember growing up. My father, you know, driving around in the car listening to the early era of talk radio. But with some real resilient, or not resilient, engaging content. And you talked about entertainment. And you're right, in this era of over-information and healthcare. We need to entertain each other. We need to find joy in all this. And that's why the peer-to-peer healthcare care uh, trend that Susanna talks about is so salient right now. Because that's where authenticity is. And we hunger for competence and authenticity to be able to trust in this very skeptical era where health you know of quote fake news in healthcare who do we trust experts like Dr Fauci and patients who have come through it with real experience so i think you're you're tapping into that new new
1: thing i think that if i didn't i'd have to retire i just want to chase things that don't exist it excites me to define new markets and one of the most interesting and relevant compliments i've ever been able to receive was that my gift and my curse is that i 'm always five years ahead of everyone else
0: Mhm, sure,
1: so everyone else catch up to me please i'm building a thing here guys come on
0: yeah well that's what's pa- it's painful too to be first to to make the first Kleenex or um you know zoom, uh, which was not a new new thing, but we seem to think that um you know, we discovered it in the pandemic for um, <laughs> Passover seders and Easter Sunday dinners right, with exactly. family. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's hard to be first. But when you are and you crack into something like that, uh, how exciting it is. So I know it's going to be, you know, hard work. You, you make it sound easy, but I know it's hard. And yeah, Matt, you did it.
1: I can't think of a more gratifying note to end our, I guess, 1.0 high school reunion podcast recap on <laughs> Obviously this is one of many many shows I want to do with you. I'm going to I've been thoroughly enjoying your new book. I will mention it on the show and many other shows and on social media. From Health Consumer to Health Citizen: Health Consuming by Jane Sarenson Khan. You got a whole bunch of amazing people here. that wrote some crazy crap about you on the back. My goodness, you must be important.
0: Um I never burn a bridge. <laughs>
1: wonderful well i can't i can't thank you enough this has been so mishpach and and gestalt and cathartic and all the jewish words that very end very in, mishpach in, <laughs> yeah yes yeah, exactly. indeed
0: so. well you're my you're my bro and uh, you always will be and i couldn't be kvelling more
1: <laughs> yes well done well done with all the gestalt that my grandma would use <laughs> thank you jane bless you my friend That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horangeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com. One, two, three, four.